Today's episode of the Mission Daily is brought to you by Twilio. This October, Twilio is hosting Signal, the customer developer conference of the year. To grab your tickets, go to signal.twilio.com and be sure to use the code MISSION20 at checkout to receive 20% off your tickets. On today's episode of the Mission Daily, we're launching part two of our interview with Mission co-founder Chad Grills. Enjoy. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about Medium. So we know Medium has kind of grown from this this idea that, you know, writers needed a place to thrive, right? And it wasn't like a blogger, member blogger back Mm -hmm. in the day. But what it became was is like, you know, and Ev Williams, I think, was one of those guys that had this idea that the writers needed a place, kind of their own their own uh, little home to kind of create and say whatever they wanted. As you know, Medium is just massive right now. But when you first started out on that, you had created this publication, one of the first publications on there called Life Learning. Being frank with you, not the most creative name, uh, but <laughs> you know, it's pretty straight to the point. I'm sure yep. you know there's a lot of fans out there that started you from the beginning. I remember following your work right from the beginning. There was a reason that you started that. You know, why is that? Why did you start this publication and and kind of what was the goal of that in the early days? Yeah, I'm a big believer of you want to test your ideas as quickly as possible, not to to give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down or say that this is going to work or this isn't going to work, but you just want to get feedback. You want to get more data points. And if you don't have data points, you're not going to be able to make a very informed decision. And humans are incredible pattern matching and recognition machines. But in order to do that well, you need huge data sets. That's the the big problem that we see right now in like machine learning and AI research is the uh, amount and novelty of data sets. Although it's exploding, it's not exploding fast enough. So if you want to build something cool, you have to run lots of experiments and lots of tests. And by lots, I mean like hundreds, maybe even a thousand. And we talked about this earlier, but... The lesson that nature teaches us is that she kills 99.9% of all her species and all her creations. Is that that really? Yeah. 99.9% of species that have ever lived have gone extinct. What's the average average time span of that? I think the average species lasts about 5 million years. I think humans are about roughly like 1 million. You could just say we're Homo sapiens sapiens. (laughs) Um, I I don't know. Somebody can correct me there. But it's still, it's an open question. Like, do we have the will to evolve and keep going or, or do we not? So you shouldn't be afraid of the idea that you might have to try a thousand different things before you have enough data points to weave them all together into a rope of competitive advantages that can become a dominating and enduring business. And so way back in the early days, I was uh, doing educational apps. I had done life learning on the side just to start trying to write more, figure out what was going on with Medium. And yeah, it was just an experiment. I'm really passionate about learning, education reform, And it was right at about that time that I was noticing that trying to change the education system, a lot like trying to change the military, was a fool's errand. Yeah. Well, you also started your first app. Be done Um, through media. Yeah. Well, you also, no, no, no. You also started your first app too. I read somewhere that when you started this app, you got a cease and desist letter. Yeah. About two weeks after we published it. So it was an entertainment app. It had captions for your pictures. And the idea was that over time, if you could automate being funny in a contextual way, that would be a really fun thing to have for any of your pictures, any right. of your situations. Got some data points on downloads and conversions from free to paid. Like we had a, yeah. a cheesy premium version of it. And then I sent that to a company who had a product line that would like match perfectly with this. I thought it would be a great fit. I thought they would want to buy it or lease it or you know 
basically like i don't know it was a good bet for them right and they didn't think so and you, their, their uh, attorney uh, followed up was like did you feel awesome when you got that no it was a, a weird mix of i really believed that the business world would be a bit nicer and <laughs> i was you know super naive about it but why can't the business world be nice why can't people like take time and not necessarily explain things because people's yeah. time is is at is a premium and we have, we have a finite amount of it so we need to price it right basically but at the same time i feel like we can do better well talk to me about how you do business because i think one of the the interesting nuggets that you said in there is like you know why can't we be nicer when we do business right because everybody gets like this whole cutthroat mentality that you know i gotta i gotta strong arm the guy in the deal across the table or you know the terms have to be my terms not our terms together so yeah you know how do you do that infinite patience and that's the only answer i can come up with i'm not i don't have it i aspire to it and it's something that is out of reach but because the aspiration is so high i feel like i maybe will get a little bit closer than if i set some type of goal of Oh, I just don't want to raise my voice or something, you know, something small like that. So I'm, I'm aspiring to basically be so patient that I'm never in a rush to do anything. You know, I don't get there. All I don't think the time. I've seen you mad once since the whole week I've been here. Thanks. So I, I just like, I just today got angry and I was, yeah, that was dumb. I feel stupid after that. Yeah. That's <laughs> I've never, I don't think, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen you just one time get, Thanks. I think um, your wife would be get more pissed off and maybe I'm wrong about that. I would say... <laughs> Yeah, Steph's very patient, but she's uh, she definitely gets yeah angry more than I do about certain certain things. But she's also justified. Are you scared a lot of, her? of times? <laughs> no, uh, and and that's interesting too. Is that the best thing about our relationship and what has made it yeah. better and better and better and better is working together on generally everything. In in some, if we don't have time to sit down and work on something, we still talk about it. And I feel like that type of conversational building is a lost art where in dialogue with someone, you can come to an idea that neither of you had separately, but because you combine your ideas and because you encounter the other person's ideas without ego. And if you take a mindset of yes, and instead of no, this is what we're going to do. I feel like there's an opportunity to really accomplish big things. Now, this doesn't mean that what everybody brings you is going to be correct. But it does mean that, wow, that's such an honor that anybody would bring you any of their ideas <laughs> to mm -hmm. make something that you're doing better. It's really, really important to remember where you're at in terms of like, if you have people that are brave enough to work for you with that vote of confidence and bring you ideas, like you better respect them. So was she the one that changed life learning to the mission or no, that, was that, oh, yeah. that was you? Yeah, that was me. Did you think um, you were crazy for doing that or? Oh, no. And that's the thing too, is like a lot of the things I do are placeholders. I, I, I'm not like really- Yeah, we were talking about that a little I, bit. I'm not really attached. Yeah. I'm not attached to them in the least bit. They're just ways that I get more data points and certain things I am becoming attached to, but that's because it's the result of uh, hundreds of different experiments that showed me, wow, this is a brand that people love. You love placeholders. We were talking about that before the show. Yeah. If you're writing fiction or if you're writing anything, there's so many- points in the writing process that can get bogged down where you don't have the mental faculties to address every challenge as you go. And I think that using placeholders is a great way to get past them. So one of my favorite authors was famous for loving placeholders so much that he left a lot of them in his finished works 
because he didn't care about the characters' names. He wasn't writing it to write great fiction. He was Who's writing it to get a, uh, a point across. Who's the author? Michael Crichton. Okay. So, yeah, in many cases, he would use the same people's names again and again and again. They're just placeholders. And people accused him of the fact that his characters were all ciphers for his own ideas and opinions and ideologies and preferences. And they were right. But he was also a genius. Yeah. <laughs> that's why That's why he did that. Like These were very important topics that he had discovered about genetic engineering and very crazy ethical challenges and dilemmas in biomedical engineering in some cases that he was trying to talk about. And he knew that nobody cared about that generally. And the scientists themselves were so deluded and crazy. He couldn't argue with them and he couldn't argue with the public. So what was he left to do? Put his ideas in fiction and hope that somebody would come across them and say, oh, this is what he was trying to say. I get it. We need oh, to fix that. Did not, I love Jurassic Park too. It's just a, it's, another thing we epic. love here at the, the mission, Jurassic Park. Did you know it started as a screenplay that was, it was super short and it was just about a, a scientist alone in his lab who basically like creates a dinosaur. That I did and not know. It was really short. And I think that it sat either, he didn't come back to, it, I think for like 10 or basically like more than a decade. Really? So yeah, a, a lot of his works were like that. So Sphere, which is probably I remember Sphere. the best, maybe the most important book for, yeah. in some ways that he wrote. And that was a 20 year process where he wrote the screenplay in a creative burst, set it aside, came back to it 20 years later, executed and finished it. Holy crap. Yeah. I did. It. I remember Sphere. That movie was trippy, dude. Yeah. If you haven't read the book, I would, man, that book is good. That, I'm going to add that. It's a psychological adventure. Just pivoting back to kind of the mission. So you had life learning, you had this publication, tons of people were reading this thing. They were extracting like valuable insights. And then you changed the name to the mission. Tell me that story. Like what was what's your vision for this company? Because you sold me a little bit on it, kind of, I was telling Max earlier about a story about Zuckerberg, where he went to my buddy and was telling him like, wanted to use roads to connect villages, right? And essentially connecting the entire world using Facebook. And I always loved hearing that story from him because it, it got, first of all, it got me fired up and I don't even work in Facebook, but it was just like, <laughs> I'm going to do that. Right. But for you, you know, what's your vision? Like, what is the point of the mission and why we're doing what we're doing right now? All right. So I have to cause a little friction here. It's so funny that people want to connect everything and connect the world and, and things like that. So if you're a student of biology, biology and nature shows us that speciation and evolution stop once a uh, species becomes too large, the herd grows too large, or generally when everything gets connected. So the most aggressive forms of adaptation, new life, and solutions to the problems posed by nature occur in places like islands. And that's all I'll kind of say about the whole idea of connecting the world. We don't want that. You don't want one government. You don't want one social network. You want many. Hmm. <laughs> Choice is beautiful. And doing things that are not available for public observation, vital. You can't make decisions that honor your humanity and your needs, your desires, and your wants if everybody in the world is watching you or if there's the prospect of a lot of people having access to your data or your information. It's very subtle, but when the camera comes on, when the microphone comes on, I don't care who you are, you're not being who you would be in the absence of that camera, of that microphone. Your behavior changes because ultimately behavior change is what decides if a species is going to survive or go extinct. And 
I just think it's very dangerous when there's like a large crowd of people that's analyzing your behavior. So I, you, should, you don't want to be in that type of situation. So what are you trying to do? What's, what's the mission about? Uh, save humanity, man. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, there's things in the world that matter. We need to have a base on moon. We need to be going to Mars. We need to have a serious plan in place to terraform Mars. We need to wipe out the U.S. national debt. We need to ensure that we have a type of defense industry that is properly incentivized. We need to make sure that we're leading around the world, not in military actions, but in lifting people up, creating more opportunities, expanding trade, expanding partnerships with different people. And that's not going to happen if we don't show people an example of what that could be like, what a better future could be like. And the best way to do that is through media. And that was the original goal of media. Like you're, you could mediate a new outcome. And if you have an idea about what that better future looks like, especially if you have concrete ideas of how future challenges or our current most pressing challenges could be solved, put those in fiction, put those in a story and put them out there. Because if you look at what inspired Bezos, Musk, and people like that, they only cite a few things. They're basically the same things. So Musk was inspired by Asimov's Foundation series, and he was also inspired by the Culture series by Ian Banks. He turned to Bezos. What was, what was he inspired by? The Culture series, Foundation. And those are two separate things. The Culture series is a sci-fi series by Ian Banks, and then the Foundation series is a book, I think seven books by Isaac Asimov. And these are excellent, excellent reads. And just think, if these had not been written, we might not be going into space at all anymore. And that's how important good fiction and good ideas about a better future, they're more important than anybody realizes. You talk a lot about new kind of media. I mean, yeah. it's in our about section on our website, so <laughs> paraphrase it. But you, but you in general, when you've, when you've, you've had team calls, you, you've talked about the direction of media, the state of media. You've also talked about what we're trying to do here and not to get self-promotional in terms of like the mission. I know this is a lot of like, you know, what we are, what we do kind of talk, but it's terrifying to see that the construct of media is being torn down. Right. And like, it's pretty risky uh, to be honest, man. It's kind of freaking scary that you have come out and said, I'm going to create a media company in the state. Once again, we were talking about this, Max, before. We were talking about like the entire state of the media is being destroyed right now by people in office, the president, you know, in terms of the presidency. That's the and only all that. time where there's opportunity, though. Right. And, and it's, you, uh, yeah. And you're like jumped out and you're like, I'm going to create a media company. Like, did Stephanie think you were crazy? Did your parents think you were nuts <laughs> for doing this? Or I don't think so, because a lot of what I have always done, I'm doing now. And the things that I love to do, I get to do now. So, I don't think so. They were, they've all been very, very supportive and it's very weird. But the one thing that I've done in my life consistently over the last couple of years is I've really paid attention to different thoughts and different ideas I've had to decide which are authentic and which are hallucinations. So like which ones are valuable and which ones are worthless. And as I practice this more and more, you start to get an idea of what's going to happen in the future. And so to get super, super woo woo, generally, you know, what you think about that becomes your reality, what you aspire to that becomes your world. And it starts to enter your world more and more. What you focus on becomes your life. And for better or worse, that seems to be what's going on in the universe in the simulation, whatever this is. And it's just really important to make sure you're dwelling on thoughts of a better future with 
more opportunity and abundance for all. So is that, is so that what that, you want for media? Like, tell me a little bit more about that. I don't know what I want for me. I don't think it's my place to say, really. I think, you know, the only thing I can do is just build the company in the best way possible and make sure that it's the institution that I want it to be and that I think our country needs and that the world needs. What have you learned as a founder? I'll break down that question a little bit more. I think, and statistically, once again, totally shooting off the cuff here, yeah. but I read somewhere that 90% of startups fail in the first year yeah. yeah, or something like that. And I think 70 fail in the first five or something like that. Yep. And, you know, founders... And of the ones that make it too, yeah. it's only about, I think it's about 10% ever get over a hundred million in revenue. Let, and then it's about 1% of the ones that make it become like a billion dollar company or something like that. Yeah. So the odds are pretty favorable for us. So, <laughs> so, so I would argue here that if you're analyzing all of the variables in a company, you can detect the anomalies. And that's in fact what VCs do. Venture capital is in many ways a test of how anomalous a company is. Is the company capable of achieving this type of very, very different outcome? And the companies that achieve this huge, huge success, they have a lot of commonalities. And if you dig into the stories of the founders, the origins of the companies, why they created it, they're nothing like the other 99% or the other 95%. They have so many differences that it, it's hard to understand how people don't see this. Because if you compare why Bezos started Amazon and how much thought he put into it and how much research and how much preparation he did in terms of fundraising and where he decided to locate the company, you can think that he was lucky. You can think that, oh, he was just a genius who was going to succeed no matter what he did. You can think whatever you want, but that is very different from how nine out of 10 founders approach companies. And so to anyone who's listening, you know, you can run this experiment yourself. You can decide to talk to 10 or a hundred different founders of venture backed companies, and you're going to notice differences. And if you ask them, why did you start the company? What are your earliest type of childhood experiences and memories? You know, you can, I have a strong belief that you can actually detect who's in it to win it and who is just in it to impress other people. Going back to actually that that question about what have you learned as a founder, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, what has been the most difficult lesson for you to learn as a founder that you're still struggling with? <laughs> that you can choose to be that point zero 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 one percent company, but that choice involves enormous sacrifice, and it's ultimately a test of how good of a person can you become. And that is the most difficult thing to confront, that it's ultimately a test of, can you become way, way better of a person than you ever thought possible for yourself? And I mean better and good in a sense of, can you make perfect decisions or can you make a string of 12 decisions that are just genius level in terms of you're thinking in multiple stages and you're thinking about how this choice is going to affect this choice coming up in a month? Do you understand game theory? Like there's just so much there. It's, it's really hard to th think like that. But the second you start thinking about like, I need this person or I need this investor or I need my team to do this, you're wrong. That's generally not the case. You need yourself to become either better or do something better, become less of a bottleneck, hire the right person, whatever the case is. So yeah, that type of extreme agency has been hard for me to accept. I think it's hard for anybody to accept, but it's also very liberating because if you only have one point of failure, you only have one thing to keep an eye on. 
So it's being kind of a dad, yeah, five months. What what's the hardest lesson you've learned so far? Being a, a new father, uh, that the best way to serve my son is kind of like just what we talked about there, which is becoming not only the best version of yourself, but becoming a version of yourself that you didn't even think was possible, that you didn't know was possible, that you didn't know you were capable of. What do you so, think Grayson's taught you? Life is very precious and fragile and wonderful. And most of what you worry about is never going to happen. So yeah, don't worry about yeah. it. Worry is preposterous. Yeah. How do you find time to do all the stuff that you do? Because here's what's crazy is <laughs> I come in and I'm, you know, Max and I and, and Jonah, who's our other engineer, are balancing a ton of work and just managing two podcasts. You're running the entire company. You're also jumping in and doing interviews. And then you got a wife and kid to worry about. And then you texted me this morning. I was like, I'm at the gym. And I'm like, first of all, I can't even find time to just go for a walk for a couple minutes. <laughs> and let alone you're like pushing weight at the gym, then coming back and handling business calls. Like, what would you say your secret is to time management? Definitely no secret. I'm not that good at time management, or maybe I am. I don't know. If something needs to be done. I just try to do it. So we had a busy week this week. It required staying up till 2.30 last night. I don't say that to brag. There's a lot of people that brag about like lack of sleep and use that as a badge of honor. I can't stand that. I'm not a masochist by any stretch of the imagination. That was a basically a failure to plan and have better time management. So if I was really good at time management, I would not be staying up till three in the morning. But sometimes you just have to do it. And sometimes you don't get the answers you need to become more productive or become a better time manager until you put yourself through the ringer right. of just sitting up alone by yourself, like beating your, your head against the computer, barely able to read any more emails, your vision's blurry. And you're like, I can't continue this. And that type of pain is the only thing that leads you to actually change. Well, and, a lot different than the infantry, right? <laughs> basically the same thing. Right, basically the same thing. But you read a lot too. I haven't read that much lately, but I always try to take some time over the weekend to read because nothing's a better recharge than reading, taking out a physical book, getting away from devices and just reading it. Do you take notes while you read? Sometimes if I, yeah, if I have an idea or something like that, sometimes I just enjoy the book. So one thing I did want to ask you before we got to wrap up here because I think we got a lot of awesome stuff today. Cool. You know, our audience, you have always told me, are, are people dedicated to learning. We've talked about them wanting to be the best possible version of themselves. What's a piece of advice that you've received in your life? And you don't have to mention who told you that, but the best piece of advice you received about becoming a better version of yourself. Confidence is everything. Even if you're wrong? Even if you don't know what you're talking about? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Because if you have enough confidence you will irritate a lot of people. And if you make the wrong decision or say the wrong thing or overstep your bounds or something like that, people will let you know. Well, that type of feedback is invaluable. If people are kind enough to give you any type of feedback, even if it's irritated, even if it's like, who the hell does this person think, <laughs> think he is? At least you know where you're at and you can like kind of scale things back and realize, okay, I, was, I think I was being arrogant or just aloof there. Maybe it wasn't really the calm confidence that I wanted to project type thing. But I don't think that you're going to go wrong with that approach at all. I think that it generally is going to attract the right people or you're going to get the information from the right people about what you need to do in order to become more authentically confident. Let's put it that way. Because it's kind of like a spectrum, right? You have like confidence and then you have arrogance. You could call it like that. Like that's the, the arrogance is the negative side. The confidence is the positive side. And your definition of confidence might not be somebody else's. But that is one of the most important things to practice, experiment with, and think about how could I become better at. Really awesome talking to you. And man, if 
anything, I cannot wait tomorrow until your wife comes on and starts <laughs> telling stories too. Because yeah, I'm be sure Steph has like a whole other just side of the mission, side of you guys. And so super pumped to talk to you about it. Mike, this was awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely, man. Always. The Mission Daily is brought to you by the Twilio Signal Conference. Join the mission team on October 17th through the 18th in San Francisco. And when you join us at the conference, you can use the code MISSION20 to get 20 Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Percent off.